Eager to hear his history, I begged him to go on and tell it. He gladly complied, though at the time I but ill comprehended not a few of his words, yet subsequent disclosures, when I had become more familiar with his phraseology, now enable me to present the whole story, such as it may prove in the mere skeleton I give. Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Welcome back to Critical Mass Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Social Impact at UVU, located on the first floor of the Student Center, right across from the ballroom. This is your official invitation to come say hello and see for yourself what we're all about. I'm Danny, a student leader at the Center, and I'll be your host this year. Now, in physics, the term critical mass refers to the minimum amount of material needed to spark a chemical reaction. In social impact language, we use the term critical mass to talk about the minimum number of people we need in order to create social change, or even the initial spark that starts a social movement. But assuming that number is more than one, and it usually is, how do we build a community capable of starting and sustaining positive social change? Critical Mass Season 2, Critical Connections, seeks to answer that question. We identify a community, find out who some key players are, and then try to do two things, trace how those connections were made, and in the process, build new ones. But much as I'd love to, it's impossible for me to actually bring all you listeners along with me throughout this process. You can't be here as I email back and forth with a potential interviewee or sit with me in meetings when I discuss narrative building and themes. And honestly, I don't think that would be very good or useful for any of us. If you are interested in making those kinds of connections, I highly recommend starting your own project or, hell, apply to the Community Engaged Learning and Research Fellow position at the Center for Social Impact. Back to my main point, though. In some ways, the very purpose of this podcast is defeated by the very constraints that make it possible. And there's nothing I can do about most of that. But there is one thing I can do, which is give you access to the full interviews. So welcome to Critical Mass bonus episodes. Every interview I conduct will be released in full throughout each month. And without further ado, I'm here with Justice, who I met at the Really, Really Free Market a few weeks back. Justice, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, so my name is Justice Thomas. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. Um, general information, background, I grew up here. I grew up in Spanish Fork and Payson, Utah. Um, I went on an LDS mission to Texas, uh, Fort Worth area, and then I went to UVU, and I kind of hopped around working for local governments, school district, um, and I'm a community activist, organizer. Thank you. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into that community activism and organizing in a moment. But first, I asked you to bring a poem, quote, or short excerpt that you have a personal connection to. Could you tell me what you brought, read it, and then tell me a little bit about what makes it important to you? Yes. Um, so I actually brought a movie quote from a movie called Salt of the Earth, and it was a film made in 1954. This film was made at the height of the McCarthy era. It's about striking miners, uh, mostly Latin American workers, and it was blacklisted and physically attacked, shot at on the movie set. It's just got an incredible history. Most of the people involved in it got deported, banned from the U.S. And this quote is something that is kind of my personal ethos, I guess. This quote is from the character Esperanza Quintero, played by Rosora Reveltas. And she says, do you feel better having someone lower than you? Whose neck shall I stand on to make me feel superior? And what will I have out of it? I don't want anything lower than I am. I am low enough already. I want to rise and to push everything up with me as I go. 
That's a quote that when I watched that movie, I was it just really hit me hard and I wrote it down and I hung it up on my wall. And that's something that I think about every day and how I interact with others. Do I want to step on people's necks to stand a little bit taller or do I want to push them up with me, pull them up with me? Like, what does that look like? I feel like that's just a, a mindset that can never steer me wrong. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it seems like thematically, it's very relevant to what we're going to be talking about, which is this community that you're a part of that explicitly rejects the idea of hierarchy and that sort of stepping on others to get a little bit higher. Before we jump right into that, I just wanted to go back a little bit to your some things about you. So you went to UVU, right? I did. Did my whole degree start to finish Bachelor's of Science in Environmental Science and Management. And then I also did a couple of certificates. I did Water and Wastewater Management and Geographic Information Systems Certificate, which is actually what I work in now. I, I did a lot in school, actually. I, internships, research positions, clubs. Could you tell me some more about the clubs you were involved with? Maybe some of your favorite or least favorite <laughs> experiences in that regard? Yeah, um, so I actually met a lot of my friends that are still my friends to this day through what is now the Secular Student Alliance. And when I was in it, it was the Atheist Agnostic Club and also the Progressive Student Alliance. There was a lot of overlap. Honestly, it was, it was really fun. It was a community that I needed at that time. You know, I learned how to organize events and how to kind of get people involved and met a lot of people who were very interested in deconstructing and rebuilding and interpreting their own worldviews and learning their values. And I feel like I met a lot of genuine people, which is why I'm still friends with so many of them. Do you feel that your time with those clubs and organizations sort of helped set you up for success now with your current community organizing activities? I think it did. A lot of the people who started Trashbird Distro were in those clubs and some were picked up along the way, but almost the entire core group was connected through UVU clubs in some way, and it's grown a lot since then. And it, it no longer is, um, you know, primarily linked to those UVU organizations. You know, we've grown in the age range, we've grown in the backgrounds, we've grown in all kinds of demographics. But that initial start was a lot of people who got their experience trying to pull off these events and build community and build friendships. All right, well, that leads in perfectly. We've sort of teased at it, but let's talk about Trashbird Distro. And is that the official name, Trashbird Distro? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, we. I guess we just mostly just call it Trashbird. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about how that sort of got started. You've told me a little bit of the background. You were involved at clubs at UVU, and then there was a Discord server. Initially, the first kind of foray into building um. I guess an anarchist-focused group was actually just a, an interesting little project with Discord where I was frustrated with how Discord as a platform is very hierarchical. You know, each role is above another role. You cannot do anything collectively. And I'm very interested in non-hierarchical organization. So in, my, in some of the other Discord servers, I was like trying to think of ways to break this down a little bit. So I created a Discord called the Anarchy Zone, where everyone was an admin, everyone shared those powers, and then I just kind of put it out there to see what happened and invited some friends. It was on the UVU hub for a while. I don't, I don't even... It, it was a very interesting project, and a lot of people kind of met through that, and it was a very fun creative space where we were able to um, really think outside the box on how to... How do you take this inherently hierarchical platform and 
strip as many of those hierarchy powers from it as possible. And, you know, we, we started meeting up in person. We started to, you know, really break down a lot of political theory. We started to test out a lot of these uh, concepts that we were all interested in. And ultimately, it led to wanting to, you know, push a little further. So a lot of that core group of Anarchy Zone, all that experience of this collaborative creative space where, you know, any, everyone is a... Uh, Everyone's got an equal say, and decisions had to be made by consensus. There was no other way to do it. Um, and so we we learned a lot of skills from that, and we took that, and we, we pushed it to uh, organize um, our community as well. I want to probe a little bit more about this situation, because you said something very interesting, which was Discord is this sort of inherently hierarchical platform, and here you were trying to create a non-hierarchical community within that. I'm just curious, how much success did you find in that? Was it possible to build this sort of non-hierarchical community, or was that why you were sort of pushed into moving offline? Well, yeah, you hit limits, um, and ultimately, you cannot, you can't simulate an anarchist community through phones. You know, it, it is an everyday, in real life process. But you can incorporate it into your social structures and your organizing platforms to a certain degree. But you do hit walls. So as far as we could get it was that you know everyone was an admin, but at the end of the day, you have to have a server owner that has the ultimate say over everything. So we created a dummy account that owned the server and we had a two-factor authentication set up where everyone knew the password but there was another person who had to okay the two-factor who didn't have the login so you had to at least have two keys to <laughs> open this up <laughs> that was, it sounds about as secure as nukes <laughs> yeah no it was a yeah. cuz that was the best we could come up with yeah, and yeah. you can't you can't automate a server owner um you can't give a bot ownership of discord at least none of us were tech savvy enough to get there mm-hmm. otherwise we may have been able to automate it with a bot but at the end of the day you've got to have someone running the server or owning it because discord will physically will not let you push past a certain point which you know it it was fun cuz we were we were scratching our heads and thinking creatively and trying to come up with all these different social structures that might be able to circumvent this thing that was trying to force hierarchical relationships on us. And that's a bonding experience. It's fun. Well, thank you for sharing that. After this this experience with Discord, you mentioned that you started making all these connections with people and then you started meeting in person and sort of building this community more uh, could you tell me a little bit about that, and especially how you specifically became, you know, the trash birds with the really, really free market? Yeah. So, um, so some of the friends we knew, basically, it was we met some people purely through the Discord. We met some people just by connecting friend groups, um, and when we held events, we would invite people there, and you know, because we were all interested in this structure and this type of community, we were also trying to connect with other groups that we knew were doing this kind of stuff. And it just so happened that almost every single one of them, well, I mean, every one of them, was up in Salt Lake. Um, We would go and we would try to coordinate rides and ride together, go up to protests. Um, We'd go to the really, really free market that Salt Lake City Mutual Aid would put on. And some of us were involved in various organizations that were progressive or leftist up there because that's just where things were. And it's just 
really hard to build a community. You go to these events to these groups and you can kind of chat online a little bit and you go meet up in person. (laughs) You know, you take a huge block out of your day to pack up, drive up to Salt Lake, meet these people and they all know each other. They're all riding bikes and walking distance. They see each other all the time. And then you just, after an hour or so, you just say, see ya and drive back an hour down south. And that's really, really hard to get social momentum from. They have it up there, and I'm really grateful that they have that up there. But when you want to be an activist and you want to make a difference, it, it's a uh, for me. I need, I have to build up my social battery to be able to go drive, you know, 45 minutes to an hour through traffic, find parking in a city that I'm not, I don't often go, and doesn't feel like home to me. And so a lot of us felt similarly, and we said, why can't we do some of that stuff here? It might be smaller, it might be hard, but it's got to happen eventually, so let's do it. So that's how I started leading into Trashbird, which was literally just a a meeting where we sat down and we're like, hey, we want to do what's going on up north. So Salt Lake City Mutual Aid Slickma is an example of that we were looking to. And we said, we need a Slickma because Slickma puts on the really, really free market. What do we call ourselves? And so we just brainstormed and we thought of fun ideas and names and threw it all around and eventually settled on this animal mascot that we felt was integral to Utah because we were trying to hit a slightly different audience. A lot of progressive circles are, are very alternative and I, I love that about them. They're super fun. Um, it's a little bit different down here. We have BYU. We've got a little bit more of family-centric um, communities and we wanted to build something that you don't need to be a, you know, a punk with a mohawk and face piercings to feel like you fit in because our community is a little different down here. So we picked the the seagull and because that's a state bird. That's something that people can kind of see and identify with. And we also think they're kind of silly. They're going around uh, eating garbage out of parking lots and they are (laughs) flying through the dumps. And and, uh, so we called them Trash Bird and got some amazing artists in our group. Alex drew up a logo. And we started putting together like a, a zine and we started putting together the really, really free market, which was literally us just drawing something up and being like, this is going to be a really, really free market. This is basically what it is. Meet here at this time. <laughs> and that's how we started. And for a while, it wasn't that many people. And it's growing quite a bit because it it resonates with people, I think. Well, it certainly resonated with me. I remember the first time I went to, not the really, really free market here at UVU, but the one at Kiwanis Park. And, and I could feel that. Uh, you mentioned earlier about how like you don't have to necessarily look a certain way or like be punk enough. I remember rolling up on my little scooter <laughs> and just saying hi. And I just, I saw all sorts of people. I saw people that looked like they could be almost in church clothes. I saw people that you know, all piercings and tattoos and brightly colored hair, kind of that punk look. But it didn't seem like there was one sort of homogenous trash bird, right? There were all sorts of trash birds, (laughs) all with their own little piles of these treasures that they were sharing or that they were there to, to find or to create even. I saw people who were in little knitting circles or who were sitting and playing ukulele and just hanging out with people. And so I think I understand 
what you mean, especially when you were talking about how, you know, you would go all the way to Salt Lake City and then you would leave after an hour. I went five, ten minutes from my house and I saw people that I knew already from UVU or who knew me or through only one or two degrees removed, we knew someone in common. I think that that helped build my sense of community while I was at the really, really free market, as opposed to if I was in a new place, never been before with faces that I'd never seen before and I might not see again. But these were people that I could see at the Walmart or at the mall or UVU. So thank you for sharing this sort of drive for community that you and the others were feeling. And I also want to comment that it seems like it was kind of always a sort of creative, artistic endeavor, if that makes sense. Like you had this really creative idea about the Discord, and then, you know, it was, let's pick a mascot, and, you know, let's get our artists involved a little more directly. But it seems like it was always rooted in this sort of desire to create something that didn't exist here in Utah Valley, that you had seen somewhere else, so you knew it could exist, if that's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 something that we already knew that, you know, really, really free markets are, are somewhat of an anarchist tradition, at least, you know, going back in the 80s, 90s, I think. And then obviously gift economies before that for thousands and thousands of years. But um, it's it's accessible. It's something that everyone can do. And, and it has to be a creative process because you cannot prescribe a really, really free market because it's it's made up of whatever people bring to it. So from the very beginning, it had to be people chipping in and coming up with uh, solutions. And I think that's what's so fun about um, being involved in this organization is that you're not just sitting around and waiting for someone to point you in the direction. You're not just sitting around waiting for someone to tell you what to do, what you should be doing, or just walking up to an event that someone threw for you. It's you have a say in everything and not only that, but it's not going to happen unless you help. So for a lot of people, sometimes the first time they do art or write something or set up a little skill share at the really, really free market, that might be the first time they've ever done that since maybe like elementary school, high school or something. You know, it's just write for passion, just draw for passion, just do it because we need people to help and you try your best and you bring what you have to the table and, you know, it's empowering. I think you're right about it being empowering. I was thinking the other day about how I'm not a very creative person, <laughs> all things considered, but I do have interests and hobbies and I like to knit and I like to do other little creative projects, but it's a little daunting. Sometimes I go online to look up a video and I see these people that they're just so good at what they do. Sometimes it feels like like I'm in competition with like the best people in the world who are who have been doing this for years, you know, and it's like, well, is there even a point in someone like me doing this creative endeavor when there's already all these people doing it to such a high level of expertise? It's not like I want to be a master craftsman. It's more just I want to express myself creatively and have hobbies and things that I like and to be good at them. And I think a place like the really, really free market might put back into context things like it's okay to be a beginner. It's okay to peak at intermediate. It's okay to teach someone what you know, even if you're not an expert. I think that there's a pressure on people, especially uh, younger people that are very online, to not do something, not create something unless it's at an extremely high standard. And that can be suffocating. It seems like this whole project was this idea of like, we're just people and we're just going to do it. <laughs> like, yeah, my, my friend Dave, I he also, I mean, my, my little quote at the beginning, I think that Dave's 
slogan has kind of replaced it in some ways in more concise ways. And he just always says it's not weird to do things. I'm trying to make it not weird to do things because it's not. It's not weird. Like it's if you want to, you want to do something, do it. And so, and and it's not monetized. You know, you're not competing for views. You're not competing against other people to try and make a living. If you show up and give something at the really, really free market, you know, you don't have like other booths next to you that are getting more sales or whatever. So <laughs> if something that you made or brought or have to offer catches someone's eye and you connect there, you know, that, that's just because you, you connected. That's There's no competition. There's no expectation. There's no hurdle. It's just humans connecting over things that they're passionate about. And that's I think we're missing that in a lot of our socializing and in a lot of our communities. I want to build on that a little bit, this idea that we're sort of losing that in most of our communities. I was thinking about it the other day, and I was like, you know, I think when I went to the really, really free market, that was one of the only times that I was at a place where I was not expected to spend money or make money, either for myself or someone else. And we kind of been dancing around it. You've mentioned a couple times, but the Trashbird Distro is an explicitly anarchist-based organization. Is that correct? We are, yeah. We go by, yeah, Trashbird Distro... Provo and Orem Anarchist Collective. But yeah, we're, we are a group of anarchists um, that have kind of united around common causes and common interests. So the word anarchist has a lot of baggage to it, if you <laughs> might agree. So I'm just wanting to address it head on. Do anarchists want to live in chaos and burn down all the schools? None that I know, personally. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's an interesting question, though, because, you know, what is chaos? It's you know, you look at a suburban grid, you look at a parking lot, you look at strip malls, and they're very orderly, and I hate them, you know? <laughs> and I think a lot of people hate them. I think people go to places that are eclectic and homey, and they like to fill their home with plants that don't follow rigid grid lines. They, they like to, you know, th- there is a, an element that I think sometimes we call chaos that is painted to be bad, that maybe it's not so bad, you know? Maybe um, trying to force everyone into little boxes is is orderly doesn't make us happy you know i think what you're saying is you know when people think of chaos they think of complete societal breakdown they think of heath ledger's joker (laughs) rampaging through the streets Mm -hmm. people turning on each other as soon as they you know get the opportunity because why not why not stab your neighbor in the back because there's no cop to stop you so and um i i think that you know as many people have found as they've grown to know people who are passionate about anarchism is that these are people who have the most faith in humanity than anyone else I know. And that's because they meet people and they know them and they love them. And there is not this othering, there is not this fear. And I think you can see it in natural disasters oftentimes when, you know, the power goes out, an earthquake happens, something breaks, a pipeline breaks, floods your street. And what happens? You know, people come out and they talk, they gather information, they see if people need help, they share what they have. I've been in very few, can count them on no fingers, experiences <laughs> where something unexpected happened and I was meant to figure it out with some strangers and we immediately turn on each other like rabid animals. You know, because humans are collaborative and we, we, we enjoy other humans. We <laughs> like to meet people, we like to make friends, we like to socialize, we build our lives around it. And... The idea that inside every single person and the only thing that's keeping them from just becoming this antisocial monster is the threat of a man with a badge and a gun to come after you if you don't behave, I think that's preposterous. I think that's preposterous. I think, um, I think that every time that I've 
giving people what they need to make sure they're not stressed or fearful and then get to know them, we bond. We don't fight. We figure things out. And that's that's what anarchism for me. That's um it's uh you know the the classic circle A that you see, the A with the circle around it. It was an original symbol created to be um anarchy, so without leaders, and the circle is the O order. And it's this idea that you don't need to be bullied into organizing a community. If someone wanted to learn more about the anarchy that you're talking about, this anarchy as a political theory and as a mode of being and as a way to organize, what resource would you recommend they check out? Well, first and foremost, I think I would talk to local anarchists, you know, like get it from the horse's mouth. Um, A lot of people have been doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying and then in real life practice and they can answer a lot of these questions. But there's all kinds of writing and different ideologies and anyone who's in progressive circles and leftist circles knows all about the leftist infighting and the, <laughs> all kinds of different ideologies and and our views my views i mean even just within trashbird there's so many just different perspectives and different ideas on maybe how things would shake out or what people should prioritize or slightly different value structures and there's just a wealth of resources out there but on our discord we have a couple resources for beginners. One is a, a book called Anarchy Works by Peter Gelderloos. It, it is just a pretty broad overview, breaks down a lot of the, the common questions, like what happens? What, what about money? What about economies? What about how's work divided? Uh, how is conflict resolved? All kinds of different questions that are just practical and logistical. David Graeber is a famous anarchist author who writes a lot about economies and anthropology who has a lot of very good introductory ideas to these non-hierarchical models and kind of thinking in a different way. I, I really like some pamphlets from Crime Think, which are it, another anarchist distro from the 90s, but they've got one called uh, To Change Everything, which is a pretty short little pamphlet that is a very good, like, emotional overview of why some, you know, why people are drawn to this, why people are, are choose to label themselves as anarchists. So you mentioned at the beginning that um, the best way would be to talk to some local anarchists. How does someone get involved with Trashbird Distro? Well, we've got a, the Instagram. None of us are very good at running it. Um, <laughs> we kind of just share it between a few people. But we do a lot of talking with Discord. Discord's pretty good because we can have a lot of different conversations going and it accommodates a pretty good number of people. So if you'd like to talk to some people, Discord's great. And you can get that on our link tree in the Trashbird Distro Instagram or you can just, if you're not an internet person, the really, really free market, Kiwanis Park, first Sunday of every month, 12 to 4, swing by. You know, we got literature, we got our own little library, we've got zines and pamphlets and a whole bunch of people who are, would love to talk to you. If someone wanted to either join the Discord or come to the really, really free market and chat, do they have to be an anarchist? No, I mean, we're an anarchist group. We're built around anarchist ideologies. We are... Our organizational structure is not, it is anarchist. Um, and so, you know, if, if you come, want to come and participate and you all of a sudden want to start electing a leader and telling people what to do, I think people would not be, they'd be like, no, uh, no thanks. <laughs> but, you know, there's no purity check to get into help with us. Um, we work with all kinds of groups and all kinds of organizations and um, that don't really necessarily see eye to eye on everything with us. But that's our, that's our structure. And we do everything we can to create a safe space for minorities, LGBTQ plus folks, 
So obviously, if you come into our organization and you start to be threatening towards people or your ideologies are in direct opposition to a lot, what a lot of people are passionate about, then there will be opposition because people are opinionated. People will speak their mind. And of course, we want to stand up for what we believe in and these people who are persecuted in our communities. If you care about people and you care about your community, we don't care how much theory you've read or what, what your far-off utopian vision is or if you believe in ours or not. Like, If you want to make a difference now and you want to start working boots on the ground, getting people together, building community, building independence, and learning and empowering each other, then like, yeah, come on in. You might uh, get in a couple debates on Discord along the way <laughs> that <laughs> never hurt anybody. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I got to say, I think you covered everything that I could have wanted to ask about um, about anarchism and trash bird distro and how you sort of got involved. Do you have any final stories or things that you'd like to share before I ask my final question? Um, oh, man. I mean, we've got all kinds of stories, but um, <laughs> we're just, I guess the last thing is that we're just, we're just making it up as we go. We don't claim to have all the answers. This is something that resonates with us and feels a hell of a lot better than just sitting here with our thumb up our asses while we wait for a bunch of uh, senior citizens to figure things out. And, you know, on a, on a burning planet, a looming genocide, <laughs> you don't really want to just go and sign a petition and wait around. You know, we want to build some community strength and we're just trying our best to do that. It's hard to represent as just a single person because there's so much that everyone brings to this and that anyone who comes could bring to this. And if for some reason you don't feel like you, you know, we're aligning quite the way that you want or we don't have the same goals as you, then like do what we did. Start something and just try it. It's not weird to do things. Just uh, make it happen. And you don't have to have everything figured out right from the start. And it doesn't have to cost any money. Um, just talk to people. It's, it, the power's in your relationships. Well, thank you so much. Uh, once again, I'm going to ask my final question now. It's a bit of a pivot, a bit of left field, but it's something I'm going to be asking all the interviewees so I don't feel too singled out. I just want to know, in your opinion, what is art? Or rephrased, what is the purpose or the good of art? Yeah, that's a that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think to me, art is a, I guess I would call art the language of culture and the language of vision. I think that there are sometimes things that words or technical representations, <laughs> graphs, things like that. In some ways, those could be art, you know, if presented the right way. But I think art is where the language that we turn to when we're trying to explain something that's a little bit bigger than words. Um, we're trying to create, I mean, for me, it's, it's experience. We're trying to create, we're trying to give other people the experience that we either want to have or have had and are trying to convey. And the ways that people do that are just never ending and infinite. And I think that's what makes good art is when you can convey that experience, convey a vision. And it doesn't have to be technical or you don't have to study for years or be a master at your craft. If you can give someone an experience that helps you unite on something and move forward, build something else, I think that's art. Thank you to today's interviewee for sharing their stories. Check the show notes for a link to the full episode this interview is part of. 
The Center for Social Impact is located in the Student Wellness Building in SC 105 across from the ballroom. We have events every Thursday, including Movie Night, the Impact Speaker Series, Impact 101, giveaways, and more. Critical Mass Podcast is produced by the Center for Social Impact of Utah Valley University, but was researched, scripted, recorded, and edited by students. Any and all opinions expressed by me or interviewees belong to us alone and don't necessarily reflect the opinions or values of the Center for Social Impact or of Utah Valley University.